church conference and he was invited on. I mean, we just didn't even know each other, but I have a lot of trust in him. He's doing really good things out at First Baptist Carthage. And so we're excited about that. And of course, we're really thankful to have Doug again. I guess we can technically say this is your third time on the podcast. Uh, I guess it is. Yeah. So with that said, uh, we're going to just run through these questions, uh, have this discussion. We're hopeful that it's a resource that people can look back at and uh, that it's also encouraging to pastors, Missouri Baptist pastors specifically. So uh, with that said, we've kind of let you guys, uh, we've introduced you. We didn't let you introduce yourselves. So I hope that that will suffice. Uh, But we've got a good group of questions here. Sometimes we'll springboard off of those questions in order to uh, just let the conversation go. So if you have something you want to follow up on, this is the first time we've actually had like a four person discussion like this. So uh, all brand new stuff. So Adam, take it away, brother. All right. Well, I mean, whenever we get together for having these annual meetings, either it's the Southern Baptist issue, a Missouri Baptist issue, we have a lot of things that are going forward. But then since we're human beings, we believe that we are not all together perfect. There's always some problems. And so that's kind of where we wanted to start off this evening. It's kind of like where are those things that uh, we can see um, in Missouri Baptist life and Southern Baptist life um, are those pressing items that you feel might be impacting the SBC today. Go ahead, Jake. You know, I think, well, I'll tell you what's been big on my heart and my mind over the last couple of days is all this stuff with Kanye West. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what I think this, I, you know what it reminds me of is that you don't become like the world to become relevant. That's right. You don't have to become like the culture to be relevant to the culture. Yeah. And what Kanye West has done here is very un, I mean, it, it flies right in the face of what everybody expects him to do, and it flies in the face of what jives with the culture. So I think generally, uh, in Christendom in general, we have allowed our culture to have have so much greater of an impact than what we even realize. Uh, even on us four men right here, we are far more impacted by the culture around us than what we realize. And uh, I think one of the easiest ways to observe that is even amongst pastors, the infrequency with which we share the message of the gospel. Amen. The yeah. prime directive that we know we're supposed to be doing as messengers of Jesus, we so 
often fail to do. It, it looks, it almost doesn't resemble the book of Acts at all with the frequency with which uh, the gospel is communicated. I mean, we, most of us would tremendously shy away from doing something like street evangelism or, or street yeah. preaching. That seems so uh, uncool. It seems so radical. But boy, you, you certainly see that done in the New Testament. Yeah. And uh, of course, that plays itself out in a myriad of other ways. Uh, I think that uh, uh, there's definitely... Uh, feminism is creeping into the oh, evangelical man. church in a major way. Uh, of course, there's uh, a, whole, a whole slew of other liberal agendas uh, that I think are devastating, that are creeping their way in, and that always seems more in vogue than biblical fidelity. It always seems cooler. It always seems like the the popular thing to be doing uh, is is just going with the going in the path of least resistance that the culture wants to dictate. And I, I'm I'm fearful. Uh, for uh, the future of the Southern Baptist Convention because of some of these things uh, that I see. I think it should at least give us uh, some pause and some concern. And I would echo some of that. I think, back to your original with Kanye, um, of all things, for us to say that we believe the power of the gospel is the power of God, and then the immediate question is, is this real? That's right. What a, that's right. what a cynical that's right. question that's to right. ask. Now, of course, it's possible. It's not. But that's possible every time somebody claims faith in Christ. That's right. That's why the New Testament never had uh, lengthy membership classes before you could join the church. That's right. You professed faith, they baptized you. Yeah. And then they dealt with the fallout. That's right. uh, they dealt with whether or not you actually behaved as a Christian or not in terms of the discipleship or ultimately, if need be, the discipline of the church. Yeah. Uh, and we've not done that well. So yeah. it, it does raise questions. The, the issues of feminism, the whole thing of um, CRT, critical race theory, uh, women in ministry questions. I think those have all been kind of out there. And I, I think one of the reasons we're seeing this now is there is a recognition, and I'll say this in Southern Baptist circles, that um, our history on race has been wretched. It has been. Okay? It, it just has been wretched. And so, how do we go about addressing that in a healthy sort of way? Yeah. Uh, and even, I think, on some of the issues, while I'm a, a complementarian, I think there have been times that the complementarianism has looked more like a salute to 50s America than what I'd consider a biblically faithful complementarianism. Mm, yeah. uh, it's, it all seems to be about authority. It all seems to be about who's in charge. And I get nervous every time somebody starts talking to me about, well, who's in charge? Who's the authority? I don't care whether that's pastoral authority, church leadership authority, or who's the authority in the home. The minute I start hearing those questions, my antenna go up because I've met far too many, unfortunately, scoundrels yeah. over the years who use those in ugly sorts of ways. And so I think the legitimacy of the questions occasionally then open the door for illegitimate ways of addressing the questions. Yes, yes. And that's what I see happening now. That'd be my observation. Man, um, thank you. That is really good. So I, I want to kind of get a little bit of a springboard on that. I mean, we're sitting kind of in what I believe is the aftermath of the go-home statement from MacArthur. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have actually not used that as an opportunity to actually have like real dialogue like yeah. what does this really mean like of course Dr. MacArthur is not a 
woman basher, right? Of course, he is someone who has affirmed like women in ministry and in the right roles. And so here we are in this time where I think, you know, I'm grateful for our podcast. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have instantaneous reaction. And so when you think about the instantaneous reaction, um, what I would say culture, uh, how does that impact you as a pastor? And how do you see that or do you even see that as an actual threat to us? Well, okay. I will say, as a fan of John Mack, I mean, my goodness, I, I, the first thing I read of MacArthur's was Body Life, I think. It was his expositions out of Ephesians dealing with questions of elders, and this is back in the late 70s. Uh, I heard John Mack the first time at a School of the Prophets at First Baptist Dallas while Dr. Criswell was still alive. Oh, wow. Uh, I heard the, <laughs> the most marvelous exposition of Daniel 9 I'd ever heard in my life. I sat there and wept for an hour as MacArthur does this marvelous exposition. So I, I, I love uh, Dr. MacArthur in so many ways. I, I would say that in the current environment, while I know it was said in jest, and I know it was said in response, give us a one-word answer, and it was done in a relatively friendly context, I'm not sure that it was the most helpful way to address it hmm. because things are so sensitized right now. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of Beth Moore from what I've seen. I, what I see in Beth, to me, it's not even so much in her case the question of women in ministry as much as I've just got questions about some of her doctrinal understandings. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, she is basically what I think a lot of Southern Baptists are, and that's closet, closet mystics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you're right. God's revealing things to me. God's talking to me. God's telling me stuff. And she is no different, I think, than the average Southern Baptist. Uh, it is a jettisoning, whether it's recognized or not, of sola scriptura. That's right. Yeah. If the text is not what speaks to us, then we are set adrift. And so that kind of subjectivism, I think, is dangerous. Now, we can discuss the whole women in ministry thing, and I think that's a legitimate area. But I guess what I'd say is I see these as, I wouldn't call them bumps. I think they have to be addressed. I just wish that cooler heads would prevail in the addressing. Yeah, yeah. and I'll say this to uh, Twitter is a cesspool. <laughs> and it's it's amazing uh, the ways now that all this stuff is just cataloged on Twitter, the back and forth, and it's preserved in there. I know somebody can delete a tweet, but that doesn't mean it's gone, of course. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Beth Moore, the, the nature with which she has responded has oftentimes been combative. Yeah. It's not as if she's just been there and been sweet Beth Moore, innocent and, and blameless. I mean, she has fought and said things that are even uh, nasty and inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, you know, about I won't name any names, but one of my former professors, uh, things is like, man, that's that's not a Christ-like way to respond. And you don't hear the the outrage about about Beth Moore responding in a way that's that's inappropriate. Hmm. So I think that uh, while I was also surprised that uh, John MacArthur made the whole go home statement. I think that in some regard, uh, 
I think that there needs to be a, a firm response when there is someone who is behaving and saying things uh, in the in the nature that Beth Moore has been. Yeah, she's been she's been combative. Well, and yeah. for me, that was the big issue was not so much the women in ministry. I actually listened to that and thought terrible theology, of course. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I I don't. Even, I mean, I have not read any of uh, Dr. MacArthur's comments on that. But my thought was, your theology is terrible. You shouldn't be teaching. And and I would affirm that from what I, from the excerpts of things I have seen, uh, and from what I believe is a lack of understanding. And again, I just think that Christian mysticism is yeah. is scary. We've had yeah. podcasts on that, and man, that's something we need to stay away from. Certainly. So yeah, thank you for that answer. I, I like that. Uh, yeah. For and so I mean, like, we need to take all this stuff. You know, we've got this wide view of Baptist life going on um, through. I mean, just our general reactions to either Kanye West issues or the general reactions fully to Beth Moore issues, but, you know, we need to hone this in. You know, we're here in the state of Missouri. Um, you know, when it comes to Southern Baptist polity, we have that sort of latitude between the uh, general Southern Baptist life to the state life to where there can be that where a state can cut off something at the pass, um, even though it might be generally accepted out here. We can't, we do have latitude when it comes to the state, when it comes to a, a local association or something like that. Um, so, you know, how, you know, when it comes to Missouri Baptist life, how can, say, reactions like this, how can we deal with them in the state of Missouri as the Church of Missouri to maybe be a light to those things outside of the state of Missouri so that we can be the church together, um, I guess you could say like a state exhorting another state um, whenever something like that comes on. You know, I'm new to the state of Missouri <laughs> and, and Missouri Baptist life. So, Doug, I'm going to have to let That's you take a, that. That sounds like Doug under the bus. <laughs> okay, I can work with that. I think what we have to recognize is the limitations of parachurch organizations. Yeah. yeah. And when you're talking uh, local associations, state conventions, or the national convention, all of those are parachurch. Yeah. Jesus did not found any of these things. Yeah. This is an affiliation of churches like minded Baptistic congregations. There's a lot of latitude in that. Yeah. Uh, you've got folks that are, uh, their eschatology is entirely dissimilar. <laughs> uh, we've got a range of soteriologies. Uh, yeah. We even have some range of ecclesiology yeah. within this. That's right. Uh, and so we have, over the years, made peace with the fact that there is a something of a continuum that allows for us to cooperate for missions. Yeah. And whether that mission is uh, North American Mission Board, international missions, uh, seminary education system within the state, uh, state schools, uh, church planting, any of those things. It's all been seen as, okay, we may not all be precisely on the same page, but here's, you know, here's the, if you will, the level of our participation. We'll use the Baptist faith and message, whether you're talking the, the 25 or the 63 or the more recent 2000, uh, for the basis doctrinally for us to get along with each other and work. Now, what can happen? I think maybe the question here, I, I'm afraid, may not be one answerable in some ways on those levels. See, my concern is, my fear is that most churches, I don't think, are ready to deal with these questions. Yeah. Uh, and 
I'm not convinced that enough pastors are truly ready right. to deal with these questions <laughs> because we have diminished the value of critical thinking, of theological thinking, of an, a coherent worldview thinking um, in the name of several things. And I don't want to get us off on another tangent here, but we suffer from the fact that we made a truncated evangelism the primary issue for us as people to cooperate and participate in. That truncated evangelistic model with its truncated message, its foreshortened message, has led to a theological ignorance hmm. uh, that is deadly dangerous, I believe. Yeah. So the problem I see is if, okay, say we have a conversation in here in the, in the session tomorrow morning, uh, David gets up and we talk about CRT. Yeah. Well, it uh, won't happen because I already got my... Yeah, you, you were told. <laughs> what, what was one of the things they said? Most will not understand. Yeah. yeah. Well, the tragedy is, it's not, and, and I say tragedy, most folks don't understand CRT. I wouldn't expect them to. Yeah. yeah. But it ought to be explainable. Yeah. The problem here is there is a deeper biblical illiteracy. Yeah. And a practice problem. Yeah. So I guess what I come back to is this. I'm not sure how much you can do. I mean, you can bring motions. You can correct things. I fully expect, honestly, that next year's Southern Baptist Convention, yeah. there will be a different resolution related mm -hmm. to CRT. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That will have what uh, Tom Askell tried to amend and what yeah. Al Mohler wanted amended. It needs to be addressed. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing with the SBC is it's such a big ship. Yeah. That hmm. turning it is slow. Yes. Uh, and I think it needs to. But to me, this points to a deeper issue. Yeah. And that goes back to the, the sufficiency of Scripture questions Amen. Amen. and addressing those in a better way. So let me ask this. I don't know if it's okay to me. Go yeah, for it. Yeah, man. If, the, if there is such an ignorance over what these issues are, why do you think it passed as opposed to being voted down? My observation, and I was not there. Yeah. I'm just telling you what I observed. Yeah. I think there was a group. There's a group there who so desperately want to get away from SBC's history, yeah, mm -hmm. and the guilt they associate with that, yes. and the frustration. I mean, Southern Baptists have not done the best in crossing racial lines. Sure. Uh, our churches are segregated in so many ways, and I'm not laying that at any particular group's doorstep. Right. I'm just, yeah. That's an observational reality. Right. <laughs> I think they were so desperate to look like we're trying to do something about yeah. this yeah. Yeah. that right uh, they, they bought it. Yeah. And they saw people up there they respected or wanted to respect and listen to, so they bought it. Yeah. Now, the fact is, Resolution 9 would have been a far stronger resolution, and we wouldn't be having this conversation had they received the attempted amendment as a friendly amendment and amended it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that all came to me. It goes back to what R.C. Sproul references in his book, Knowing Scripture, as the sensual Christian. What I feel matters more than what I think or the text actually says. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Uh, so it goes back to our coin phrase, you know, sentimental theology, sentimental yeah. That's That's a piece that we, yeah. we talk yeah. a lot about. Um, 
So I want to, I'm going to jump to this because it's sure. something that is important to me and I don't want to jump ship, but it is important to Missouri Baptist life. And uh, the question really does, it's been a big issue here. Um, someone can say, oh no, I haven't heard too much about it. And people were passing out flyers today about this issue. Um, so here's an important Missouri Baptist issue. Last year, um, there was a serious issue at one of our MBC universities, Southwest Baptist University, right? We're almond model. We care for SBU. Yeah. Uh, I'm a trustee at SBU. Mm. And I'm, I want to ask this question anyways because I want to know in good faith. Uh, Dr. Turner uh, uh, became president. He didn't know that this existed. I want to give that 100% the benefit of the doubt. He had yeah. no clue. Uh, I certainly believe that the trustee board at, at Southwest Baptist had no clue that this was an issue. Right? I, I've sat with people that I trust, that I believe are good pastors, good lay people. They had no clue. And the issue was, and we could go to multiple pieces of documentation, it's pretty clear. Rodney Reeves, he uh, embraces the doctrine of annihilationism, like tells everyone that straight up. Uh, Dr. Manis, current professor there, states that, hey, there's a purgatorial view of uh, individual eschatology. He rejects very clearly in that same statement, he rejects uh, imputed righteousness, um, and it is really clear that he also believes that individuals can find universalism in the text of scripture. And so these things are stated, but then in Springfield, uh, your great association, uh, Dr. Turner gets up and says, this is a bump in the road. Is that a bump in the road? And how do we deal with that? Yeah. I don't know if you knew all that, Jake. So. <laughs> I didn't know about all that. I knew that there was, uh, at SBU, it was theologically kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of Southern Baptists, uh, just a lot of Southern Baptist church members that have no idea of what's being taught yeah. in the in the universities. Uh, but yeah, those things, obviously, those are serious uh, theological issues with tremendous implications. I think that's far more than a bump in the road. Yeah. And I th the, the, the danger here, guys, and I, 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 I'm personally acquainted with one of the professors when we went to college together. Um, and I want to give guys the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, amen. I, I uh, think that that is the right way to go. All I can say is this. Annihilationism finds no place in historic orthodoxy. That's right. Agreed. Uh, whether you're talking Baptist or otherwise, just it, it is not to be found. That's right. Uh, further, a rejection of imputation is a rejection of the gospel. That's right. Yes. Uh, and this truly is that uh, the issue upon which the church stands or falls. That's right. And I would say further, I think the problem here is that, um, in a deeper level, this goes back to my earlier assertions, Baptists, because of our zeal for evangelism, a glorious thing, yeah, the did. longing to do that, we ceased to emphasize the objective reality of being justified by the righteousness of Christ, Christ's death, burial, resurrection, him taking our sins, his righteousness imputed to us. And the emphasis became out of our, 
I will say, autonomy of free will notions. Mm, yeah. That the new birth is something subsequent to faith. And so in our zeal to get the gospel as many people as we could, the attempt was made, how little gospel can you teach and still teach the gospel? Yeah. yeah. And so it became an emphasis on are you born again? And you have Billy Graham's book, How to Be yeah. Born Again. <laughs> yeah. Which is a synergistic understanding of the new birth. Yeah. Okay. It's a cooperative effort. Well, that becomes transformationist. Mm-hmm. It, in essence, is whether it's recognized or not. You're going back to Rome. Yeah. You're going back to a view of infused righteousness rather than imputed righteousness. Yeah. Uh, and so when you lose that, then you maybe you're not alarmed when you hear somebody saying things that sound purgatory. Yeah. Uh, but you ought to be freaked out about that. Yeah. Uh, that if our salvation is not based solely on what Christ has done on the cross, this is my salvation, not what changed me inwardly. That's a consequence. I'm saved by what happened outside the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago yes. on a hill That's right. when the Son of God died for sinners. That's right. That is my salvation. Yeah. And that is my only hope. Yeah. I may do well in growth and grace. I may not do that well. It's hard to figure that out, but that's why Luther said we are simuliustus et peccator. We are simultaneously justified yet sinful. Yeah, that's right. So anything that denies that is gutting the gospel. That's right. Yeah. And that that is completely unacceptable. Yeah, that is unacceptable. And so you know, whenever we're, we're talking about this, I mean, you says it's a bump in the road, you know. And I was I was there, and I was like, that's kind of what perked my attention. You know, he's talking to people. So we talked about resolution nine. It got passed by people that voted that had no clue, really. Was, and right. we have to, you know, it's like let's be humble. We don't know exactly everything about the whole issue. Right. You know, if you didn't go to college, you didn't get taught it, especially yeah. to the nth degree that they teach it, Yeah, you don't know about it. So it's one of those things we voted in. So like with this issue, you know, how much do the people know about what happened at SBU? And so like whenever we're thinking about how the polity works, how our cooperative program money goes to that school to fund it. So basically, we're utilizing that school to make the next generation of pastors, teachers, whatever. I understand that you've got the liberal arts side, you've got the the, uh, theological school side, so we've got a lot of different uh, things going on there. Right. Um, But, you know, how transparent do you think we need to be because like how many people whenever Eric Turner said bump in the road you heard about it how much did they hear how much did they know to where you know he can actually say bump in the road and they don't their inattendance don't go up and then me back there going like you know and so you know that's what kind of got me going and so like you know how transparent should um, institutions like this be especially since they're getting money from people that are going to have a hard time understanding some of this stuff you know and it's to be humble, they're not going to probably know the extent well, I think you of have the teaching. To. If you're going to be, and I th- my view of it is this, SBU ought to be a properly confessional institution. Yeah. Amen. That is, you're going to teach in a way that conforms to a confessional understanding in Baptist life. Yes, right. And I don't I wouldn't make a separation between the school of theology, uh, economics, Amen. wherever it Amen. is, worldview, Christian understanding impacts all those areas. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, I want our kids well taught. I want them exposed to all sorts of ideas, but I want them exposed to that from a perspective that is unapologetically and definitively and declaratively yeah. Christian. Yes, uh, right. That says it clearly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it ought to be out in the open. Yeah. Now I'm going to d- defer because I've done a lot of talking. You're up. <laughs> no, I think that's outstanding. I think it's. Uh, I think it would seem underhanded to do anything otherwise. Uh, I don't. And the thing is, is SBU is, and I realize we're in Missouri, but SBU is not the only Southern Baptist undergraduate institution in the country that is going through these exact same that's type right. things. That's right. That's precisely right. Uh, so I think that's a common thing with these Southern Baptist state schools. Yeah. Is, is there is there has been some liberal theology that's infiltrated in there, or just strange views that are not that mm-hmm. that are not congruent with our Baptist confession, you know, or statement of faith, and. Uh, you know, I think that's an issue that has to be addressed by the state conventions. Absolutely has to. Yes. And there does need to be absolute transparency there because I think a lot of people's jaws would drop you know, if, they, if they really saw what was happening. You know, it, I want to give uh, 100% credit where credit is due. Uh, I believe that the administration of SBU has been very open that their 1921 statement was insufficient, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were a person who had influence in the crafting of a new uh, statement of faith for SBU, what would you do? What would you advise that committee? How would you inform, like, here's what we should have? Would you say, hey, we need to split the way we're doing this, or should everyone fall under the same curtain? Does that make sense? So they didn't just hold to the the Baptist Faith and Message 2000? No, sir. Interesting. And I didn't know that. Well, that seems to me the simplest answer yeah. to this thing. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're going to be an SBC or an MBC institution, you ought to abide under a confessional standard that the rest of the churches abide under. Do they make it pretty obvious that they, that they don't hold to the BFNM 2000? That would be correct. Um, the school does not require the professors. And this is, uh, this is not like privied information, right? Yeah. Uh, you can get on your computer, you can find out some of these governing documents. Okay. I mean, you can mm-hmm. open up your booklet there and you can find some of this thing. No, uh, there is a statement of faith written in 1921 that is the current statement of faith. Mm-hmm. They will not hold, uh, again, this is it is not a standard. Everyone follows the Baptist faith and message, agrees to the Baptist faith and message. Right. So the thinking on that, and I want to throw this at you. You guys are sharp guys, and, and Adam, I haven't even thrown this at you. So here's the thinking. We've got this great physical therapy program, doctor of physical therapy program. There's growth in this. Like this is these are honest things, right? So we're making money here. Like this is where we in a time where schooling is is kind of gone the down, right? Hey, our physical therapy program is making money, it's expanding students. We've got this brand, I mean this great big building where we're sending folks. We've got this really great master's program in education. We've got this doctrine in education. Uh, we've got a, a nursing program. So should a lady teaching nursing or should a man teaching nursing in Springfield, not even on the SBU campus, should we tell him you need to affirm the Baptist faith and message? Yeah. Well, and I th- that, that is a tough question. Tough. I, I admit that. But I think what we'd have to say is this. You know, what is it going to sound? Oh, why not? <laughs> I think what I'd say is this. In a sense, I would say yes. This is how, this is the standard to which we adhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
we ask you not to teach contrary to that. If you can't do that in good conscience, then we need to find somebody who can. Yeah. And I would state, let's say that you're a good, well, just because we're all Reformed folks, right. you're a good Presbyterian, yeah. right? And you say, man, this stuff that you got about church government is a little janky. Your understanding of the Lord's Supper is messed up, and your understanding of baptism is messed up. But you know what? I won't teach in contradiction to that. I right. will make sure. And why would a nursing stu- a nursing professor even have to do that? That's right. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? That's right. Why would a physical therapist have to say, yeah. what's just, I mean, I'm not even, maybe I'm being silly. An atheist physical therapist could say, I won't teach in contradiction to that because I'm teaching physical therapy. Yeah. I think that works. I mean, I would say, again, SBU does require everyone to be an evangelical, by the way. And I, I think, and I would tell you, uh, goodness, I can see. Uh, the name of the great guy who wrote on evangelicalism. I have one of his books. Uh, oh, I'm gonna kick myself. All right, well, forget that. There's great definitions of, of evangelicalism, right? Martin Lloyd-Jones? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, uh, well, there you go. See, this is the great thing about being live. You, he can cut this out and make me not sound so bad. But what I would tell you is you can uh, see definitions of evangelicals, yeah. uh, and you can affirm the tenets of evangelicalism, right. and then say, "All right, no, I I believe very seriously in baptizing babies, yeah. but I promise you, that topic's not going to come up in nursing. That, that won't be an yeah. issue. Yeah. And I would even say, if we're talking about infant mortality." And uh, that's a serious subject. I will say, you know, personally, my conviction is, but we're a Baptist school. And so I want to share with, the, with you what the Baptist position is on this. Right. And, and that, to me, seems like a, a very uh, easy, easy fix. Well, yeah. exactly. And why should this be that hard? It shouldn't be. Yeah. Why is there a problem with being a confessionally driven institution? Yeah, and I mean, I just, for, for my thing, I don't know if I've said this on the show before when if talking about anything like this, but just, just to lay that out there, I'm a layman guy. I'm part of a congregation of an SBC Acts 29 church. Um, being an apologist, a part, a part of the Missouri Baptist Convention. So I'm right. just, I'm a part of this network. Yes. You know, and it's not, I mean, it's serious, but it's not like... It's not as serious as being a professor at a school. Mm-hmm. I had to, I had to say I adhere to the Baptist faith and yeah. message, yeah. or else I could not be a part right. yeah. of the of the apologetics. And I say network. that so, to say, again, if, being a lay, layman guy here, yeah. I'm not a professor. Right. I'm not going to school. Right. Yeah. Nobody's but paying me for my information to like that. To that. But I had to say that yes, I'm in a Southern Baptist church. Yes, and I adhere to the Southern Baptist yeah. the Baptist and faith message. Even if they wanted to write something, you know, okay. the, the the prime example I would say. The abstract of principles by which Southern Seminary operates yeah. predates the Baptist faith in this. Oh, yeah. So we've got no issue with that. It's still within the pale, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't object even if they wrote their own as long as it didn't come out somehow contradictory to Baptist confessionalism. Yeah. 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 I don't think it's I like Because, I mean, a lot of churches, a lot of Southern Baptist churches will do that. Yeah. They'll rewrite a statement of faith. It's not the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, but boy, it sure closely resembles it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, we're even in the process. We're trying to clarify some of ours a little better. We we will still affirm the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, but we will have something that's a little more definitive for Boulevard Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's really good. I, I asked I mean, that question, so I don't oh, know. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was I mean that was my big question uh, for the year when it comes to SBU and all that kind of yeah. stuff. You know, I mean I think we hit those uh, major points. So I mean it's like where do we go from here? I guess this is like how, yeah. how then shall we live the rest of the year till we get to uh, the next uh, meeting? You know, what do we need to take away from you know right whatever we have now? I mean we still got tomorrow here as Missouri Baptist, um, and then uh, whatever we don't get satisfied here, what do we do? Do we forget about it? And move Move on. How do we move forward in certain things to where? Well, there's we some resolutions on the floor yeah. about that, about dealing with SBU. Yeah, there were. Uh, some. Oh, there were. Yeah. I, I was no, in here all day. I don't believe that there oh, will there be were. resolutions. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do not know what the resolutions. We'll find out what the resolutions are tomorrow. I can no, tell you, uh, okay. my resolution on critical race theory was um, it was not accepted. Um, my resolution, what I believe was a clarification of the uh, position that is already affirmed by the Baptist Faith and Message, which was a very clear statement on complementarianism. I made very clear that we as Missouri Baptists celebrate roles of women in the church in their correct position That's right. as we would celebrate a man doing his role in the church. And we believe scripture clearly defines that. Now that is an extension of what is implied in the Baptist faith and message. I think this is a great time for that. Again, I would even say, I, I, you know, I'm not going to go to the floor tomorrow and, and say, hey, I, I need two-thirds vote to put in my resolution. But I think we do need to have a clear statement on critical race theory. I actually think that what I put forward could have easily been uh, modified to be, I mean, I, think, I thought I made it really understandable. Uh, but saying, hey, you know what, we recognize that there are theories out there that talk about race, and we need to know about them, yeah. and uh, that's an important thing. We shouldn't use them as the lens by which we see the world, though. Right, right. Uh, we're going to use scripture. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I like all those things. Well, and I think, to me, to go back to your, to your question, Adam, I think we need to make sure the trustee system works. Amen. Yeah. Because that's the first point of accountability. That's right. I don't want to make it sound like there's nothing that can be done on a denominational convention level. It can be. But what we do is we elect trustees to handle these things. Yep. Now, if the trustees do their job, these things are addressed. That's right. But again, trustees have to be properly informed. They have to be aware of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and you know, nobody wants to be the whistleblower. Nobody yeah. wants to be the one to say, "Well, I think we got a problem over That's here," right. Mm, that's right. uh, because of how things get blown out of proportion, or you end up being the, the one in trouble because you blew the whistle. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there ought to be some protection, I think, for folks who point out when there's a problem. Yeah, amen. Uh, and I don't think that's been the case. Uh, that said, I think what we do is we say to trustees, "Do your job." That's right. Mm-hmm. We're glad for you to be the ones. We trust you to do that, thus the name. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, pay attention. And we trust the process. Um, uh, I would state that to reject what the nominating committee puts forward is to abuse the process. Well, I think it's a... Now, I will say this. If from the floor somebody attempts to do that, it's certainly within the purview of the convention to do that. Yeah. Um, but you do have to be careful how much... Uh, kibitzing you do uh, <laughs> from the floor when you've asked people to do the job, unless you're quite thoroughly convinced they have not done it well. Yeah. yeah. There, there needs, uh, hopefully there's a trust level that we can look at trustees and say, you did your job. <laughs> Good. Yeah. yeah. Or, 
That's about all. Let's yeah, that's all. But um, I guess I, yeah. I just want to ask two no, more just kind of quick it, ones because yeah. we have them in I don't here. Wanna, just no, because no. we're at a convention and stuff like that, um, you know, just a just quick answer. You know, why is why is this important? Why is conventional life? Good question, Adam. Short answer is we do more together than we do separately. Yeah. yeah. Conventions, by their very nature, allow us to. Small churches are not going to be able to fully fund missionaries. Yeah. It just can't happen. So how do you do that? Well, that's part of the beauty of the, of the cooperative program. We can do these things. We can fund education. There are things we can do together that are just simply more effective. The danger, of course, is always that when you do it, even with a trustee system and even the way we do it, you can lose touch with the ones you're supporting hmm, and that's lose right. sight of what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I don't think it's, it's what I, I wouldn't call it a bad system at all. But where we go from here is, I think we say, convention life does matter yeah. as long as we don't elevate it beyond, above the local church. Mm, that's yes. right. Amen. That's right. Amen. That's right. Yeah, and you know, the cooperative program has been called a, uh, what is it, a rope of sand that's as strong as a uh, rod of iron. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if our churches are to work in friendly cooperation with one another, uh, we do need to... You know, have our hand on the pulse of what's going on yes. with our other churches, uh, both locally and on the state level and national level. We've, we've got to stay in touch with each other. That's right. And yeah. so I think events like this are important. Yeah. And so yeah. do you see, like, any sort of in increase or decrease going on, like, say, with the younger generation coming up in conventional life? I wish they had these events over a weekend. If you're a yeah. working person, you <laughs> oh, have yeah. to take off work to come be here. And we no. have some very dedicated lay people yeah, that's uh, right. who will take off work and come be involved in something like this. But, boy, I'd love for there to be more of an opportunity for, yeah. for working age people to be involved. Yeah, and of course preachers don't want it to be that way because they're so busy on the weekend they don't want to be gone. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's right. And it's not an easy solution. I will yeah. say that I have noticed this convention. I've seen more young people yeah, than I typically agree. have. Uh, so I'm hopeful that there are others who are beginning to step up and do this more yeah. younger folks. Yes. I mean, I've, I've noticed, you know, like you just say in the Green County, I'll just be candid. You know, I've seen not a whole oh. lot of, no, and you, I mean, you were there too. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot of young well, life no. in here. And so it's just like, I'm, yeah. you know. So that, you know, that's my kind generation of like and older. This show last up. question is, you know, why, again, why is it that conventional life important? Um, you know, if it's gone, I mean, something is going to take its place anyway. We, we cooperate, we're communal yeah. beings, and even if we're communal in a church, like even independent Baptists go to Nine Marks conferences. Right. So, you know, we find ourselves having to come together at some level right. and cooperate. Well, and I think but, part of what we're observing, at least this is what I'm seeing. People don't feel quite as much need for conventions as they used to, yeah, because of ease of communication, right, mm -hmm. uh, and ease of travel, yeah. Where you know it's kind of the the prosperity of our time. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought forty years ago, as a young man, that of the three levels of Baptist life beyond a local church, whether it's local association, state convention, or national convention, I didn't think that uh, one of those would last. There'd be two that would last, one wouldn't. Yeah. My assumption in my 20s was local associations would go the way of the dodo and state and national conventions would survive. It appears that that may be entirely wrong. Hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking state conventions may be in more trouble than local associations. Hmm. Part of it is with ease of travel, 
uh, guys can say, well, I want so-and-so to preach in my church or teach on this, I can get somebody that's a national figure. Hmm. I don't have to do somebody local or state. Yeah. This guy that I know on a national level, or they have such connections through things like, whether it's Acts 29, or Nine Marks, or any of these other, there's other ways that we connect with each other. Yeah, yeah. And so this is not as important as it once was. There's a whole lot more more venues, more groups, and more ways. Yeah. yeah. I'll say this too. I think one reason why you don't have as many people involved in things like this, especially lay people, is I think most lay people don't understand how the Southern Baptist Convention works. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the because most pastors haven't actually educated their people on what it really means to be a Southern yeah. Baptist. I would agree. Yeah. And uh, they don't know how. I mean, I can't tell you how many. Well. I can tell you. I think it's only been three or four. <laughs> but I've had some people uh, who who got crossways with me, and they threatened that they're going to contact the Spring River Baptist Association, mm-hmm. or they're going to contact the Missouri Baptist Convention, let them know <laughs> that I'm now requiring background checks. <laughs> and some people think that they that there is like an ecclesiastical food chain. Oh my gosh! Yeah. 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 And so our I think our our the your your average everyday Southern Baptist church member just does not know how the SBC works. I remember one of the most enlightening things was uh, at Midwestern Seminary had Jason Dusing as Baptist history professor. Just the way that he was able to lay it all out uh, up on the board, all the different entities in the SBC, uh, how everything works, what the cooperative program actually is. Yes. And it was beautiful. And I think that you would have more involvement if people actually understood how it all worked. Right. Yeah. Sacred Effort. I think that was the book that we had to read in Baptist history. Mm-hmm. Loved that book. Uh, literally, I wish I had a bunch of copies to give to people. I don't know. When, when I had to do do it when I had, when I read it, we had to fill out the little workbook beside it. I don't know if you guys had to do that back. That was way back when, you know. Uh, but that gave me that enlightened me. Again, I find you know, like I'll give you a great example. Uh, there is two people from my church here, right? Um, that's it. And that was with pleading, like, and look, there will people be people that would. I've had multiple people ask me, what is going on down the road at SBU Day? And they'll read about something in the pathway. Mm -hmm. But they they didn't care enough. And some of these people were retired folks Mm -hmm. who could have been down here to Branson, right? Uh, And they didn't, it was not important enough. And uh, just an interesting thing, you know, how that. Well, and I think if you don't, if. I lived through the conservative resurgence. Yeah. And that became such an issue that you had a huge number of pastors get concerned. And when those pastors got concerned and communicated to their churches, their churches got concerned. There you go. There you go. Uh, And so until these, I think until these issues like we're talking about kind of come to the forefront where local pastors are concerned, I don't know that churches are necessarily going to notice. And I'm not saying it's right or healthy that this comes through the filter of the pastor. But most of our folks are not going to read the state paper very closely, That's right. That's if right, at all. Sir. Yeah, um, they're not going to pay attention to these things. They've got lives to live. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook posts to like, exactly. memes well, to make. <laughs> you, you fill in whatever blank you want Sorry. to for what you're busy with. Yeah. It's not on their radar. That's right. 
So yeah, I just uh, hope this uh, has edified guys, yeah. you guys that have watched the show. I think uh, we're pretty much. Uh, I, this has been a really fun podcast for me. Good. I don't know if you've enjoyed yeah. it as much oh, as me. I yeah. laughed a lot, and uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, thank you for for your guys' time. Yes. And anything, and I, I hope that you know we can get more people involved. Yeah. Um, hopefully, maybe see some young faces next year, fresh faces, ready to go. Hey, what can we do? And this this comes to that you know we are. The universalness of the church. Yeah, we yeah. we seem to look at our independent little little bodies as an end. Right. Whenever Christ has built something much That's bigger, yes. Yes. and we can you know Agreed. go across those lines Agreed. and love on each other and work together again, despite you know having to deal with some differences. That's right. And I've had to do exactly. that today, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's all in the love of God. And yeah. I've got to show grace if I'm going to preach grace. But anyway, um, I hope you guys watching this um, or will watch it or listen on the podcast, uh, just consider um, next year. Consider yeah. your local yes. association. Sure. Consider your Go to your local. annual meeting. Yeah. Go to the state yeah. convention. Go to the national if you can. Yeah. Educate yourself about what's going on. Vote your conscience. Don't be afraid to speak up. Don't right. be afraid to speak up. That's right. yeah, and I if like you've that. got a question about an institution, find out who the trustees are. Go talk to a trustee. That is, yeah. a, I, that is a great piece. I, I will say I've watched multiple SBU trustees come on to the, watch the live cast for a little bit. That's one of the things that I'm doing over oh, here. Okay. If you're wondering what I'm doing, I'm, I'm trying to respond and interact you know, with, with, with people. Uh, I don't always do the best job of that. But I've seen multiple SBU trustees. And one of the things that they said was, we didn't know. We didn't know. How right. did you know? And we didn't. Yeah. That is one of the best things. Go to the trustee. Ask them. And if they're doing their due diligence, they'll go and they'll look it up. Like, really? you like, that's happening? Yeah. It shouldn't have taken a professor to record things and then go and present up. It no, it should really have. shouldn't have. It shouldn't have. It sh- and it, it should have taken... I mean, I had a... Just a... I don't want to extend this too long, but... 2015, Dr. Andrew, Andrew Walker comes up to me for the church, and we were friends at SBU. And he wasn't doctor then; he was just Andrew. Uh, <laughs> but they, he teaches uh, ethics and apologetics at Southern, yeah. right? And so Andrew comes up to me and he says, "Hey, I've got some concerns about SBU." Good. And Good I was for him. pastor at, you know, I was, I was pastor at, at First Baptist Buffalo. I just got there. Mm-hmm. He said, "What do you know about this and this and this?" I said, "You know, I, I don't really know, but that's interesting." And I began to kind of watch from a background. I should have immediately at that time, that responsibility was on me. I should have said, number one to Andrew, you know what, you need to go talk to a trustee. Uh, Let's get online. Let's look up who they are. Almost all those folks have Facebook or or Twitter or an email somewhere, right? We can get a hold of them. And that should have happened then. And that's actually where the Missouri Baptist pastor and uh, lay person is empowered. And that's a great system of checks. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, awesome. Well, guys, thank you for your time. Um, hope you, you guys get it's some good rest yeah. <laughs> with everything going on because you guys you guys have a good long day tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I'm at work, so I need rest as well. But uh, thank you guys for watching and being a part, again, of the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm Dave. And we've got Doug Shivers. And Jake Wright. And All I don't right. know how we're going to do so this you, three I'll words. let you do <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I go. Do go soli deo gloria. And you just skip me. Okay. So, yeah, so. Soli deo gloria. Yeah.